welcome to Beer Plus Three, where we st- t- uh, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> welcome to Beer Plus Three, where we attempt to solve the world's problems one beer at a time. The woman with me today has been voted the 2016 Sexiest Woman of the Year by Highlights Magazine. It's Bree Edwards. I used to read that. I'm feeling dirty now. (laughs) Also in studio, the one man I wish to be in the zombie plague with. It's Caleb Sanders. Is that just because you know I'll get eaten first? I was thinking I would. I was thinking. Yeah, I was was going to say. (laughs) Fair enough. And I cry when it's dark and I'm alone. And together we form Beer Plus Three. His name's also Jeff. Yeah, but I never introduced myself. I That's never okay. have. Mm-hmm. I still do. I, I just you. assume everyone knows me. <laughs> That's, That's a good way to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Is that monomania? I, it could be. It could be. Um, this, le- this last weekend, or this weekend, uh, last night or whenever that was, uh, we watched a movie called Maggie. I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Abigail Breslin. Mm-mm. Really fucking good. It's a zombie plague movie, so everyone's going to roll their eyes right there. Okay. But it really doesn't concentrate on any zombies, per se. It's just about her turning and in the way the family's dealing with it. Interesting. It's, it's this weird allegory of, uh, I think it's it, it, it more like, uh, uh, like maybe a cancer or a drug addiction type of thing. It, it was really good. It was really like well done. Like the human side of the zombie plague. Yeah. Basically, that's what it was. So, Abigail Breslin, thumbs up. Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, who knew? Um, everyone raved when it came out last year that, like, oh, Schwarzenegger's so awesome. Schwarzenegger, I'm like, he wasn't okay, but Abigail Breslin was amazing. Maybe really that's good. what happened, is that just her awesomeness lifted him up. It's, mm-hmm. well, it's kind of like adding Liam Neeson to any film suddenly gets, like, ten points more awesome. Although, no, I'm sorry. He's lost mm. points with me because he can't keep track of his family. They keep getting taken. Uh, womp, womp. I mean, for God's sake, just get him chipped. <laughs> just get him chipped. I completely forgot Didn't about the Taken series. Like I remember the first one. I forgot the, there was the more of them. The first one was fun. The first one. I was thought cool. you were making a terrible joke about his wife dying. I was like, that's not very nice. Because <laughs> she was amazing too. We solve the world's problems and make light of death. <laughs> well, yeah, we we often do. But, oh well. <laughs> so what do we think of the Orbital IPA from? Should probably drink let me it. let me try to attempt to get this correct. Ecliptic. Ecliptic. So ecliptic. So I don't know what an ecliptic is. Ecliptic. <laughs> ecliptic. It's, it's e- just it's one clip. I I uh, for some reason whenever I'm on mic I cannot get this right. So ecliptic. Ecliptic. You just need to say it a hundred times. Hundred. Ecliptic, and then it just gets nonsense after a while. Once yeah. you start yeah. doing that shit, it just becomes nonsense. Ecliptic. 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 So, so ecliptic. once again, I think this we've, is we've, fucking strong, by the way. Yeah, we've had this a few times, but it goes really well with coffee for those who are morning drinkers. Oh, I should probably pour myself a coffee. Like it's, well, it's not coffee plus three. <laughs> no, it's womp, not. Womp. We, although we could have a spinoff. I could talk all day about coffee if you let me. Oh, and the more coffee you have, the more you want to talk, and then you just keep going. I don't know why. That's because I'm neurotic. <laughs> I'm a talkative, neurotic individual. <gasps> but no, this beer's good. I like it. This is a, this is a solid three. Yeah, three and a half. I've. So, um, what was your anecdote about this? This. this so we, 
The last time Tamara and I were in Portland, we did a brewery and distillery tour because that's what you do when you're in Portland these yeah. days. No it's way. either that or a strip club tour, one or the other. Um, and don't forget the Doctor Who restaurant. Is the Doctor Who restaurant? It's a fish and chips place with a little museum behind it. Oh, that's awesome. We right. somehow missed that. But so we went and we did like a sampler and every beer that we tried, this one is actually decent. I can drink this one. But like mm-hmm. every beer that we tried, it's like they got like 80% of the way to where they wanted to be with that beer and then sort of ass landed a bit. Oh. <laughs> ass landed a bit. It was, like it. Every, there was just a, like the red ale had a grassiness to it. And mm. there's no reason a red ale should ever have anything resembling grass. Or maybe, no. you know, a red, uh, an IRA or an you know, a rye maybe, or or a rye, yeah. Um, but this was just supposed to be their middle of the road red ale, and it was just like weird on the tongue. So I was not terribly impressed with that with that beer stuff. So this brings up the whole question of what's when when is beer better, right out the tap or in the bottle? Because we've had some phenomenal bottles from Ecliptic, and since you're having it at the bar yourself, maybe it's just the f- it needs all their beer needs to age a little bit before we get it gets to that. Maybe point Maybe it's better of, bottle conditioned. Yeah. That actually could very well be. Some some beers are better when they're. I mean, because I I can't do boundary tap, but boundary bottles I'm totally fine with, because they've sat for a little bit. It's been so long since I've actually consumed a boundary beer. It's. Um, I have out of town family and friends are like, oh my god, boundary's so great. Let's go there. I'm like, do I have to? Okay. No, you drag them to the good places. It's like, hey, oh, they're paying. Sorry, boundaries oh. boundaries closed, but there's this great place called the local. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh, and so the the Doctor Who restaurant in Portland's called the Tardis Room. Oh my God! And it's I a fish and chips bar. Do they serve their fish with Tardis sauce? I'm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh man, bad. and it's getting four and five stars. So its its average review is four point six out of five stars. Yes, but how much of that is nerd factor? I would say at least two a, a lot stars. of it. Well, they've got a museum two in the back. Stars. Yeah. Is uh, nerd fact. Any, any theme I'm in my restaurants? Dress, by I, the way. Is that the Doctor Who dress? It's, it's, it's 11. Yep. It's 11? Mm-hmm. It goes up to 11? Well, there's technically 13 doctors. I know. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Though you did, you did wear the uh, favorite earrings of mine, the, the D20s. Those are awesome. From Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Went to Comic Con, and it was the best. Well, it's been better. Since we're moving into Shadowrun, though, I have to sort of retire my die 20 socks for a while because I won't be rolling a die 20 in your game for the foreseeable future. I'm still going to make it happen. This is, these are my lucky gaming. I roll really well when I'm wearing these earrings, my D20 earrings. Mm-hmm. Um, they were made by the same person I bought the RPG magnets mm-hmm. for you, Jeff. Um, and and if I was allowed to put magnets on the, on the fridge, they would be You're up there. You're not allowed to put magnets on the fridge? No, I'm not allowed. Oh. The only reason that magnet's up there is because it's your guys' wedding. That's right. Which yeah. re- your Lord of the Ring invitations are on their way here soon. Awesome. So, is there a backstory to why magnets are forbidden? Uh, my wife thinks it's tacky and she hates it. But so, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. So, you have the RPG magnets. I'm gonna get you a sexy pack of magnets so that way you can have sexy RPGs, and she can't say no to that. Yeah, she can. Actually, oh. I think that would make it tackier. <laughs> but it's so tacky that it's adorable. And I would love wanna... my eight-year-old and her little friends to make sentences with the sexy <laughs> magnets. His saber-toothed tiger got a plus-two constitution saving throw as he penetrated into her dark abyss. Yeah, what? something like that. I really want to do a nerdy porno now. There I'm going to go. go write Fanfic. some fiction. Fanfic. Yeah! I, I, would ch- I, I would check to see what's already on Nifty before you... Uh... <laughs> 
before you do it, you know. Don't care. <laughs> this is for my own pleasures. Absolutely. I bring back the Legolas and Gimli slash. That's Born like, that writes itself. Flesh. Right? It's so good. <laughs> so, uh, As they ride a shield downstairs, you know, penetrating mm-hmm. one another, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just grab the beard and go for a ride. <laughs> the axe is his penis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like Captain Hammer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, I'm so happy that we just I got, got an email one there. Um, from some nerdy site at some point, and it told me that uh, Firefly Flux was coming out. And I like couldn't click fast enough to order it. I, I felt like Homer Simpson being like, shut up and take my money. Because I was really in that mode, and it came, and it's uh, the cards look aged, really. So it's not what, like what what is this exactly? It's a game flux. flux. It's a card game where the rules constantly change while you're playing it. And you're oh, I love flux. To, oh. We played yeah, that before. I think we've played. That. We were there's, really drunk when we played it before. Flux, there's Martian flux. There's uh, Star flux. Uh, Cthulhu flux, which is a bitch to play, by the way. Basically, four out of six times you play Cthulhu is probably going to win. Uh, and now there's, now there's Firefly Flux, and uh, it's fun. There's, uh, you know, all, like all Flux games, it's it's sort of random, and you're trying to figure out, uh, you're collecting keepers like, you know, Mal and Jane and Firefly and Wash, <laughs> and then there's ghouls, different combinations of keepers. You know, there's creepers, uh, which are the bad guys of whatever mm-hmm. uh, story you're in, uh, that prevent you from winning unless the rule says otherwise. And uh, then various things that change the basic rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it can. Um, one of the interesting things about it is the box even says that game time runs three to thirty minutes, because you can't actually predict how long it's going to take somebody to get three everything to, yeah. to, uh, oh, to win the funny. game. So. So I love this whole resurgence of Firefly games. I also just bought a Firefly game oh, about yeah, a month guys. ago. Yeah, it's it's called Shiny. And I have had no one to play with me yet. I have, I have this game. I've got all the places, pieces set up and ready to go, and no one's played with me. But essentially, it's you're going on missions with mm-hmm. the Firefly crew, and it's a part gar- card game, part dice. And so you roll the dice, and it, the dice are special dice. So they have symbols yeah. on either side, and it decides you know who your villains are, what your stores are, and then who your um, characters are. And then they each have different things that they can do and that impact the quote-unquote mission. Mm-hmm. And so your ultimate goal is to defeat the other players, but also not get killed by the by the villains. Like, I, I have, again, I haven't gotten a chance to play it, and so I don't know how it really works, but it's... I went to a comics place in Bellingham yesterday to go pick up some more dice because that's what I do, and there are three new Firefly games, like board games out right now, and I'm just... Hmm. Oh, if they weren't $45 a game, yeah. I'd probably own them all. And didn't require a place to store them. That's what we were into. Yep. We were like, ooh, another game. Um, I guess I don't need all the space on my desk at work. Yeah. No, I've got... It's kind of like with my desk. It's like, ooh, look, another bobblehead. I have nowhere to put shit. Like, my, my boss comes in and he goes, I'm starting to think we need to make your space bigger. I'm like, well, because I actually have the small space in the office because of... A reorganization mishap. I lost two feet of space, so I'm already in a cramped area. I might be getting an office soon, so that will be resolve it. Dude, dude, my ten by ten. It needs to be ten by twelve. But they he moved looked, that fucking wall, didn't they? They yeah. did. They it's moved like, the wall. Uh, you're like Milton. Yep. <laughs> Gonna be in the basement. It's my stapler. My, my stapler. It is my that's stapler. A, that's what happens when you uh, measure once and cut twice. <laughs> But and, and the sad thing was that it was my idea to move all this stuff to give myself more space in the, to begin with. Um, so. Then you short-sheeted yourself. 
Well, no, we had a new counselor come in who is visually impaired, and so she gets a bigger space because she needs the bigger space to, like, feel where she's going. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, I think I'm moving into an actual office with a door, so cool. But um, my, my boss comes in, and so on one half of my desk – is all the papers that need to be filed. Then I have a sit-stand lift for my computer so I can stand and just tap, 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 tap. And then I have another pile of files that I'm doing something with. I'm not sure what I'm doing with them, but there's about usually about 7 to 12 files. And then all of my toys, my action figures, my stuffed animals, my plants. And, and my boss comes and he goes, wow, rent on your desk must be really high priced. Maybe we should think about getting you a bookshelf. I'm like... If you can fit one, I would love that because, you know, I stand up and my, I hit the back of my wall. It's tiny. <laughs> as long as you don't hit your head, I think, I think everything's okay. Yeah, and, and I'm starting. We, we also have these paper lanterns everywhere because the paper lanterns diffuse light. So it's, it's actually really nice on our eyes to not have fluorescence above us. thinking about switching mine out for a star, um, a um, Death Star because <laughs> why not? <laughs> At this point, no, and no one expects any less of me. I think a D20 would be better. If I could find a paper lantern D20. Yeah. I'm sure you just have to type that in and Google it up. Oh, man. But maybe wait till after the podcast to do it. Yeah. I, was uh, <laughs> I know it's hard to disconnect yeah. when you have technology sitting in your face. But I'm... Well, I was going to say I'm a millennial, <laughs> but I'm technically... So there was this really cool article about generations, about how Gen Y, which is what I'm actually part of, got eaten by the millennials. And so... The Gen Y actually had the the um, younger Gen Y have actually become more identified with millennial culture, and so we switched somewhere in our lives from being more Xer type personal, like let's go outside and play and socialize and be interactive with our community. To I really need my iPod right now. I can't function without <laughs> it. So the younger or so the younger Gen Y slash older millennials are in this really weird uh, position of, well, I did play outside, but. Now playing outside is hard, and when I play with my video games, I can't put it down. So as soon as I pick up my phone and open Tomo, I'm done. Uh, the actual, like, original Generation Theory uh, authors that came up with the whole idea of the greatest generation, the baby boomers, uh, Gen X, actually only considers, after Gen X is millennials. It's the only one that they yep. they identify. And I am technically who, who is this? They just to, just to just clarify. the gonna, census uh, or something. No, it's actually there's uh, two guys who actually wrote this theory, um, and it's they called it, themselves the greatest generation. I'm sure. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> uh, I was, think technically the they do belong to it. It was but, the baby boomers, I believe. But they. Uh, oh no, you're right. There was the, the greatest generation, that, then the baby boomers, then the baby boomers, then um, God knows what, then the Xers. Uh, so if you Coming from present, it's the Homeland Generation, the Millennials, uh, Generation Homeland. X. I was told they're digital natives. Um, the hmm. Generation X, Boomers, the Greatest Generation, uh, the Lost Generation. Um, the Lost Generation. That must be the, the uh, World, World War One folks. Um, yeah, that was not a pleasant experience for anyone. Uh, generational. Uh-oh. We're, we're Googling. <laughs> see? see Damn it. I did not pick up my phone. Where's our, t- where's our it's related, intern, though. Brandon? He's sleeping. Why would he do that? Um, because he punishes himself by not sleeping. The Strauss-Howe generational theory. We can get into theory. that. Strauss-Howe. Strauss-Howe. Um, but yeah. It's and it, I, I assume this only is, is pertinent to 
the United States. It's pertinent to uh, European Western culture, basically, is, uh, the, is what they've actually done their research based on. And they actually have uh, names and trends that they've tracked going all the way back to like the 1400s. In oh, terms wow. of this. And each generation lasts about 20 years, and it's linked to what they call turnings, which are basically four cyclical eras that culture goes through. And it goes through these cycles because of how basically the children of one generation react to how they were raised and how the world was mm -hmm. when they were growing up. And it's that classic, well, I'm never going to be like that. So they do something else. And then they end up raising their children basically the opposite of mm -hmm. how they were raised, and they create their parents again and so you've got these basically two sets you basically got a a and c linked to each other and and uh b and d linked to each other as parent and child combinations mm -hmm. and as each comes of age they're basically rebelling against what they were doing before what was uh, happening before and so the uh it's kind of an interesting theory these 20-year turnings and um the like the connections between the uh, the boomers and now coming around to the so I'm sorry the greatest generation and then now coming around to the homelanders who are essentially the same kind of generation. They I'm uh, sorry I missed that the the, uh, the greatest generation and the homelanders and the homelanders the current children they're going to be a similar, are going to be similar but types. how how are they going to be similar i mean uh, obviously their experiences are going to be different their well, technology it, is different so when we're talking about those reactions this theory, almost sounds like i know in anthropology they have like every 50 years is one grandfather mm -hmm. and they kind of that's how they yeah. judge so, the different generations so when we're talking about this reaction theory essentially to boil it down it's that um, we can only make so many left turns before we go around the block again. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we start with one, so the greatest generation, you which know, is actually called the silent generation in their theory, not the, in, not, not the greatest generation. Yeah, they, there's lots of different names for different segments. There's lots of different theories because once upon a time, world war two and world war one generation were two separate gens. Um, yeah. but so essentially, um, for me, I see the big, I see the most dramatic change in the baby boomers and the Xers. So you had the great generation <coughs> who worked the same job their whole life. They were given a purpose. You did what your father did, and that's what you did. Then you have yeah. the baby boomers who, because their parents in the great generation were raised to be so rigid, they were told that they could do whatever they want, and they should reach for the stars. They I mean, they still had you know, the one job that's what we did, and we worked really hard. But they were also, you know, you're not going to be a carpenter because your dad was a carpenter. You can go and be a businessman. Then you have the Gen Xers because at that time, divorce spiked with the baby boomers. So suddenly we have latchkey kids who are pretty much really independent. They're encouraged to be whatever they want to be, um, but they're taught to be pessimistic and skeptical because we also have the introduction of 24-hour media. Um, and then we have the millennials who, you know, the latchkey kids were taught to fight for their um, place in the world. They're right told to, to party. Be, yeah, they had the right to party. <laughs> and um, they were also, they, so they're taught to defend themselves. They're taught to be whatever they wanted to be, and they're taught to be independent. And they didn't want that struggle behind their kids. So that's where we have the participation trophies for the millennials. Mm -hmm. Yay. And But millennials also came of age knowing all of this, seeing all of the cynicism of their parents and their older siblings' generation. And the, the Xers are cynical because they were sold something that, the world couldn't deliver on millennials came of age knowing that the world couldn't deliver on it mm -hmm. so wow. they don't have the cynicism 
necessarily in the same way that the Xers do. So like, the the turnings, as they're called, there's the high era, which is when it's post-crisis era when institutions are strong and individualism is weak. It's the 50s when yeah. everybody wears the same suit, the same dress, they go to church, all of that stuff. Awakening, this is the boomer generation. It's a summer of love and all of that. It's an era when institutions are attacked in the name of personal and spiritual autonomy. Then you have unraveling. Uh, the mood of an era is in any way the opposite of high. Institutions are weak and distrusted. Individualism is strong and flourishing. This is the selfish 80s. Yeah. Right. This is oh, the, the, the yep. Xers growing up and coming of Classic age. Then crisis, Xers. an era in which institutional life is destroyed and rebuilt in response to a perceived threat. This is 9-11 mm -hmm. um, hitting. So each turning lasts about 20 to 22 years. So a full cycle is between 80 and 90 years. And uh, the... Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And going back, you have the Homeland Generation, which started in, it's considered to start in 2005. And the reason they started in 2005, it's the end of 2004, beginning of 2005, because it's when the United States doubled down on the what had happened the four years before following 9-11 by re-electing Bush. Mm. Um, then the Millennial Generation, roughly 82 to 2004, uh, <laughs> Generation X, 61 to 81. Tamara and I are both technically Xers. Neither, but we're such young Xers. Neither of us actually relate to the Xers. We relate far more strongly to millennials. Brandon is actually an Xer, so he was seventy nine, mm -hmm. and this is where he and I most of our communication issues come from. These really general, like, and that's why I'm so fascinated by generations because my relationship it's so unique because Brandon is very skeptical, very cynical. He's very he's seventy nine, so he's late Gen X, but he's still oh he's not that old. He's no, not that old. I was Jeff. making a play on words. He's seventy nine. He's 70, oh, 79, yeah, but I'm 89, so that 10 years, there's a whole different perspective on how life goes and how the world turns. I tend to be very optimistic and like, oh, yeah, we could totally do this, and he's like, no, we can't, because what if all the things go wrong, and, um, no, that's seriously, we've, we've had those conversations before, we were having about the car that I'm going to be buying here next week, <laughs> um, but, for I think the reason why it's such a huge the generation is such a huge deal right now is because we finally have four to five generations still alive on this planet for the first time it's because weird. of medical yeah. interventions. Normally we wouldn't notice this yeah. because you know a hundred years ago you died at fifty five years old and that was pretty typical. But I now who's who's, so. um, my grandparents were born in the that. beginning of the depression and they're still on this planet walking the earth. Yeah. Um, sort of. They're trying very hard to keep walking. <laughs> <the earth. laughs> I was going to say they're. I don't know but if I call that walking. My, I but. mean, like my grand, my great grandmother um, was alive. So for a period in my family's life, we had mm. six generations on the planet in my family. Mm. So that's a breakfast beer. There we go, breakfast beers. Ooh, it is very multi. Mm -hmm. It's nice. I really like it. We're taking yeah. a, a pause in this generation discussion. No, about I, the beer. I like about this. Black Cezanne. Yeah, it's the Black Cezanne from uh, <laughs> Farmhouse Brewing in it Skagit County. It's very good. And no, I had their uh, just to take a short break from. Our previous discussion, but uh, um, I had their uh, Pilsner, which mm -hmm. was pretty good. Their farmhouse is amazing, and then I had their other. They have two different IPAs. They have the Haystack and the Porch Light. So mm -hmm. it's like a lighter IPA. I'm, I'm assuming it's like a, a session-ish style. This is, yeah, this is a saison. It's a this black is a saison. Yeah. So we need to call Mike because we finally found a saison that I actually really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Good, isn't it? Excellent. This is really good. Wait, it's funny. It's hard for me to imagine disliking a Cezanne. It, because mm -hmm. it's... I can I can imagine disliking a classic Belgian Cezanne because they're very sour. They're, I don't sour tend to like very Belgian Ameri beers too much. Um, yeah, yeah, but American like Cezannes... You don't like sours either. So, no. I mean, that's... Yeah. I Although, that's, that's Wander, I, they, I tried their new Shandy and their new sour. Phenomenal. I would drink those so the cows come <coughs> home. No. Yeah. They made a Shandy, yeah? It yeah. is fucking yeah. good. 
Excuse my language. Holy yeah. crap. It is really, really good. Yeah, um, Brianna, uh, fuck your language. In the, in fuck the fucking your language. Jar right now. <laughs> uh, so turning back to the generations, generation. the four different anyway. generation archetypes are prophet. So they're born near the end of a crisis. So this would be the current, I believe the homelanders are a, a prophet generation. Yep. Born near the end of a crisis during a time of rejuvenated that would be my community, daughter's generation. Uh, life and consensus and a new societal um, ideal. Uh, nomad generations are born. No, I'm sorry. The boomers are a prophet generation. Um, they, prophets grow up as increasingly indulged children of the post-crisis era, come of age as self-absorbed young crusaders of an awakening, and focus on morals and principles in midlife and emerge as elders guiding another crisis. How do you know my dad? Nomads, the nomad generation born during an awakening, a time of social ideals and spiritual agendas when young adults are passionately attacking the established institutional order. Nomads grow up as underprotected children during an awakening, come of age as alienated post-awakening adults, become pragmatic midlife leaders during a crisis, and age into resilient post-crisis elders and my husband hero right. generations i was gonna are, say that sounds like generation x yeah um so let me see homeland is a millennials are h so a hero n is uh, x is nomad so that's brandon i'm a hero me baby yeah. boomers are uh prophet generation hero um today. well look at your damn job yeah hero yeah Hero generations are born after an awakening, during an unraveling, a time of individual pragmatism and self-reliance. They grow up as protected post-awakening children, come of age as team-oriented young optimists during a crisis, merge as energetic, overly confident midlifers, and age into politically powerful elders attacked by another awakening. And then artist generation, which is what Nikita actually is, the Homelanders, are born after an unraveling, during a crisis, a time when great dangers cut down social and political complexity in favor of public consensus, aggressive institutions, and an ethic of personal sacrifice. Artists grow up overprotected by adults preoccupied with the crisis, come of age as socialized and conformist young adults of a post-crisis world, break out as process-oriented midlife leaders during an awakening and age into thoughtful post-awakening elders. So we're about to have a renaissance, essentially. Hmm. Um, there's actually a lot of theory. There's... This related definitely. to another thing. So have you guys read the Foundation books by Isaac Asimov? Uh, no, I started and, and immediately fell asleep. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's the first book is, in is, my opinion, the only one you need to get through, but it is, can be a hard read. Asimov that, can be a That's the one I tried to read. get through and it was tough. The, the basis of it is there's that. a guy who came up with something called psychohistory, which there are actually models like this one that essentially do that. And it's based on the idea that Humans as a species are predictable. Humans are as individuals are unpredictable. And so the longer the range that you're trying to predict, the more accurate you can be. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of models that indicate here in the next 10 years, there will actually be a rather radical kind of revolutionary transformation in Western culture that we're essentially due for it. They can't point to who's going to cause it, where it's going to start, where it's going to lead. But all of the trends point toward that happening mm -hmm. and when i was reading i'm like wow that's psychohistory yeah <clears throat> so the this generational thing keeps repeating itself over and over yeah. in our culture and there's actually um there's actually a psychological theory based on it it's called adlerian so i can never remember his name but adler um one of the one of the fathers of theories for psychology actually bases um his theories on generations and birth order so i mean in uh, across the Across all the disciplines, like generation plays such a huge um, meaning into development, but it, it's always very cyclical, which is always really funny. But that's when we you start talking about the psychohistory and the generations, and actually finding the theory mm -hmm. because there's so many different theories about generations. I got really interested because it's like, huh, 
individuals, we are pretty unpredictable. Birth order, though, does actually tend to pertain or pertain to certain aspects that we'll hold and continue with, as, with values. But my sorry, my brain's like spiraling very ADD, like down to the this is how we are as a generation, and this is how we are in family units, and this is how we are in a culture, and this is how we are as the individual. Um, I didn't. People are really predictable. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Hum, uh, humans are well. At the end of the day, humans are animals. And if mm-hmm. you watch any herd act, you can predict how the herd's going to act. Eat, sleep, fuck. Done. Yeah. But the funny thing is you uh, – um, riding a motorcycle, deer are like my natural enemy. If I see a deer anywhere, I just pull over and stop because I can't actually predict what that deer's going to do. If there was a herd of deer, I would know exactly what they were going to do. Yeah. But one single deer is just a nightmare. I'm just going to stop until it leaves. Five minutes after it goes, I'll ride again because I, I know it's hiding behind a tree and it's going to just flip out <laughs> in front of me. Uh, yep. I've yep. had that happen a couple of times. One time. Which w- is less frightening in a car than it is on a motorcycle. I was just listening to the Cracked podcast and they were they were talking about how um, corporations, I mean, every every everything you go, every store, every uh, advertisement you see, everything is planned down to the minute. Mm-hmm. And how... Uh, um, uh, a lot of grocery stores will be planned to where you always walk to the left and then like all the fresh stuff will be out front and then of course all the stuff that everyone needs and wants is in the back so you have to walk to the line and apparently they're uh they found that um pack animals like to go walking left circles oh, yeah. yeah uh no or counterclockwise counterclockwise sorry counterclockwise it's always counterclockwise like... and we are kind of the same we we feel more comfortable going counterclockwise walking well, i don't not sure why there was a lot of, they they meant they brought up a few different studies and and I just thought it was kind of interesting the colors and the way colors and the way we for some reason like red you'll always see red with like associated with uh, food passion sex uh, yeah the carnal instincts um, not not necessarily carnal just <laughs> um uh, they 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 use red to uh, like you're a little more carefree you you're more impulsive. And this, that, and the other. So you'll see, like, McDonald's action. is all red, you know. Red and, uh, red and yellow. They've actually found that red and yellow make you hungry, but not make you want to stay. Yep. Yeah. Which is perfect for fast food. All the way down to, like, the music. Like, you go to, a, like, a hard rock cafe or one of those music, one of those places that's just playing, like, obnoxious music or, or rock and roll. And people tend to not stay for very long. But if it's, like, classical music, something that's relaxing, and, and people tend to stay for an extended period of time. You know, my, my favorite example, and I think I've talked about this before, um, when we talk about generations and advertisement and how how closely, like, people get paid a lot of money to figure this shit out, is look at the generations and the ads for joining the army. And, and why you do and it. Why you, and why people join the army. The like, army of one yeah. versus the... <laughs> be uh, all you can be. Versus we want you. Yeah. We want you. <clears throat> be all you can be. Army of one. You go through the generations and you... Think about, because we have the great generation where you served your country, greatest honor. And then Gen X gets the be all you can be because it's the first generation. Self-actualizing. Yeah, they're self-actualizing. And um, right now it's army of one for the millennials because the millennials are more collaborative. They're a more collaborative generation. They want to work together to support causes. Like, But they also are very, they're also very self-centered. Yep. So it's a matter of how how awesome can you, uh, can <laughs> you make yourself. Go. Hey, 
You can hear me. Welcome now. to the podcast. Hey, uh, I was wondering why you, yours was like. <laughs> I was actually, and, uh, and she yeah, would my, talk and I my, talk. the whole leaning back thing. It's a it's a terrible habit during a podcast. Um, <laughs> I actually want to because you and I before she was Jeff and I before Brianna got here were mentioned and we were going to save it to later. Generational theory actually ties in very well to a movie that we were going to talk about, and that oh. is uh, Dawn of Justice. Have you seen it yet? Oh, I was hoping you okay. had seen it by this point. So we will see if we can have this conversation without spoiling anything. But it's I okay. think it is. Um, it's probably nothing I haven't already heard already. The portrayals, the the vision of Superman and Batman among different generations, has been. I mean, Ooh, is I can talk right, about this all day long. Yeah, it, right there you get a difference. I mean, Superman when he started was like the ideal of you. You serve your community. Mm-hmm. You do it yeah. with a smile. You never do anything wrong. You, for some reason, wear your underwear outside of your pants. Because why not? Yeah. Um, so you have this whole mystique around him. Come and in. then contemporary Superman is has to be complicated. There's no way an Xer or millennial is going to accept a grinning moron with superpowers. Yeah. Well, we also did, it, it, it's definitely the personality of Batman and Superman have changed over the generations, but also the mm-hmm. I, the quote unquote ideal man. Because when we look at the original like TV portrayals of Superman and Batman, they were guys with beer guts running around just doing cool stunts. And oh, those weren't beer guts; they just had different style of body. I mean, <laughs> the, the, well, no, that's what I'm saying. That 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 ideal has changed. And I'm trying to describe it because that's how I relate to it. Well, yeah, going from. Um, Going from uh, Reeves. Steve Reeves, Steve Reeves to Christopher Reeve, and who else played that? Oh, Superman, Brandon Routh, and now um, the Brandon guy from Tudors. And one thing I've heard about Brandon Routh, he is Superman. Like he is he the nicest fucking yeah. guy, most wholesome fucking guy you could ever do it. And and now watching him on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow, he, he's just he just exudes personality. Just want him just, to kind of you want to just hug him yeah, and then like tousle well. his hair and send him off to be a Boy Scout again. It's like <laughs> yeah. go go do good. <laughs> Pretty much. He's so awesome. And he plays that character so well. So where I was kind of going to is that not only has the um, psychological personality changed over the generations because we need dark. I mean, we have 24-hour media. We need to be shocked and awed. And the only thing that can shock and awe us is getting darker and scarier. Um, Honestly, though, if we went the opposite direction and went total Boy Scout again, that might get people's attention, maybe. Um, But the visual appearance of Batman has changed, too. He's gotten bigger and bulkier. So has Superman. And um, I'm well, to be honest with you, Ben Affleck actually kind of makes uh, the guy that's playing Henry Cavill look a little like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like well, it's actually it's un- it's unfortunate because Ben Affleck is like six foot two. He's not yeah, a he's, small man. He's a big guy, and he bulks up really like. I heard well. he did actually a good job playing an older Bruce Wayne. I Absolutely. honestly, I, so my. I would say my favorite part of the movie they didn't do enough of, and that was Gal Gadot was Wonder Woman. She was absolutely. Fr- We're gonna get the movie fantastic. here soon, so. I'm so excited. I know yeah. it I'm looks so amazing. Excited. Hopefully, hopefully everyone's seen the uh, trailer. Yes. And some mm-hmm. of the behind. Yes. The no, I I, I know way she's more about amazing. this movie than I should without seeing it. Yeah. Second thing, I thought that uh, everybody was really worried about Ben Affleck as as Batman. I thought he did a fantastic. It was just like Heath job. Ledger doing the Joker. Everyone was really like Heath Ledger is a Joker. What? There's a huge stink about. Him. Like you guys, give him a fu- get, give him a chance. Give him I, a chance. I, I nearly be ended fine. my relationship by saying. I don't know. I think I like Ben Affleck better than Christian Bale as Batman. I think I like. I will. I don't like Christian Bale as Batman in general. 
I think what he, do you mean? He, I think he missed all the important parts that made Bruce Wayne an actual character. Bruce Wayne is a spoiled, obnoxious, uptight guy who's bitter about his childhood, which his parents died. That's fair. But he's got... And then became oh, bitter about the rest died. of his life. And then, but, I mean, we, if we look at shows like Batman, uh, in comic stories like Batman Beyond, where the next gen of Batman comes in, Bruce Wayne is a crotchety asshole. And I think and I think Ben Affleck really is the right person to take. Ben Affleck is an asshole, as Yami's saying in the background. And I think he's the perfect guy to capture that because Ben Affleck's really good at playing assholes. That's why he sucked at being Daredevil because Daredevil is actually a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Wayne, not so well, much. Well, uh, Bruce I, Wayne's a chauvinistic womanizer. Please, if you, if you haven't watched it yet, there's a show called Good Bad Flicks. I think is what it's called. Um, and uh, this guy kind of revisits a lot of older movies, generally that are considered horrible or bad. And he goes through point by point why that movie was such shit because basically the studio took over. Yep. And Which is fucked why, up the director's That's vision. why Fantastic Four was terrible. Like half the movie was supposed to be in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. You weren't supposed to see the Daredevil for most of the movie. Yeah, and they're like boring. Like, exactly. Well, and, and that's, that's another huge issue. I mean, I'm really excited to see that the uh, previews for. Avengers or no Captain America versus the world the, the, uh, Civil with, War. With, with Civil War with Spider Man making an appearance. I'm like, we're finally relinqu- relinquishing full control of Spider Man now. That's exciting, and we're and not only that, we're doing the CGI stuff. I'm actually really excited about the CGI stuff. I was excited about Deadpool because there's a lot of animation in the masks and in the features that you can't get with just the the conic. Um, Spider-Man and I, I wear like yeah. there's expression there and so I'm really excited that we're relinquishing a lot of that control of this looks really cool and suave and going back to the more comic book roots like we like Deadpool because he talks to us and he makes the funniest expressions with giant Did white like eye patches I fucking love Deadpool so I thought good. that that may have been I one re- of the best Did you comic watch book movies it, ever done yeah I mean it was so perfect it was it was literally the comic book Deadpool. It was a comic book on screen, like fourth wall, everything. It was so beautiful. But I read actually just last week. I saw this little thing pop up on my phone. It said, "Possible that the Suicide Squad could be rated R." And I'm like, "How can it's you not? fucking make the Suicide Squad anything but rated R?" It, it needs be, to be rated R. It should be rated R. I'm kind of curious about it because of, I mean, with there's been a tons of buzz about Suicide Squad and how Jared Leto's just going absolutely batshit crazy trying to be the Joker. And I'm like, they like interviewed multiple like. Uh, Institutionalized crazies to prepare for the role of really Joker. all he should do is just talk to Mark Hamill because I no no one tops Mark Hamill and being the Joker. And sorry. Um, speaking of Mark Hamill, I believe he's the Joker in the Killing Joke, which is a rated R animated feature. Mm-hmm. So it's well, because when you think of the Joker, you think of Mark Hamill. He is the voice of Joker. I, I you know what I never watched. Uh, I I probably watched a bit of that old Batman series, the the dark whatever. I don't the remember. Dark Knight. Yeah, or what, I, whatever it's called, the the animated dark series. something. Yeah. There's there's the a animated series. A lot of Batman animated no, series. No Batman, the, Batman the, the one. Where like Joe, he came in as Joker. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where Harley Quinn was yeah. born and all that stuff, and and it wasn't until I was watching, I think Gotham, was Mark Hamill played kind of the Joker esque person. I think it was in Gotham, and uh, um, he did a, such an awesome job. No, Mark Hamill is a phenomenal actor, and we give him a lot of shit because he plays whiny Luke Skywalker, which is a yeah. product of George Lucas. Ha-ha! <laughs> Full circle. I can always bring Star Wars into a conversation <laughs> if you let me. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Oy vey. <laughs> anyway, um, what, uh, what do you think about the, this current Superman? I mean, what, what's your um, so take I, on this? Man of Steel was the first time I ever in my life, and I mean, I'm basically an Xer, so 
I grew up on Christopher Reeve's Superman. Yeah, me too. And it is the first time I... Man of Steel was the first time I interacted with Superman. I didn't think, well, that was a waste of my fucking time. I actually liked the humanizing portrayal of him. He, I don't care if he was freaking Kryptonian. From the time he was like three weeks old, he was raised a human. Yeah. And so the idea that he would have no conflicts about what he does, no, uh, no frustration about... Or um, or worry about, you know, do I or don't I in terms of his powers never made sense to me. And the idea that one of the things that people who are huge Superman fans in the webosphere were really ticked off about Man of Steel and Superman versus Batman is the collateral damage. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Godlike powers running around a major city. No, nobody's going to get harmed in the making of this fight. So, <laughs> really? So- what kind of moron are you? My, One that's not going to live in Metropolis. That's I, all I'm saying. Yeah, no, and, and you know, that's the thing. That everyone's like, the millions of, you know, I think they, they captured that idea best in Jessica Jones, the, the Netflix series, when they talk about all the destruction and the, and the kill. Because, I mean, you really can't have a battle in a major city without fucking collateral damage. I mean, half of New York City was destroyed in Avengers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jessica my, Jones is genius, by the way. My only issue with the newer version of Superman is that the, they broke the one golden rule, which is that Superman will never kill. Like outright kill, which he did do. Except that that raises, I think, one of the most essential questions, and this is why I've always cried bullshit on. I, I like Daredevil. I I kind of always like Daredevil. The current version I may have has made me like him even more. But Daredevil and Batman are fucking lying to themselves because they refuse to kill these people who are mass murderers, and by killing them, they would save countless lives. Mm-hmm. So Superman is kind of stuck in this situation where either I kill Zod. Or Zod kills these eight completely innocent people, and the only reason this fight is happening is because of me. So for him to not kill Zod in that moment would be the most selfish thing he could possibly do. And That's yeah, the 80s Superman would have found some magical way of doing it otherwise. Well, the comic book Superman always found ways to do it. But, but they were always contrived. And really, there's nothing that could hold Zod permanently. And... Zod was going to do everything he could to kill every human being on Earth if he wasn't killed. So, and that's, of course he, that's of course fair. he killed them. It was the, in my opinion, the good thing for Superman to do. Any other option yeah. was, it's the difference between Captain America's ethics and Iron Man's ethics. And there's actually Kevin uh, posts, my best friend posts periodically. This is actually a breakdown of different the different ethical systems espoused by Captain America and Iron Man and why they're both critical to the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And um, Captain America does ontological ethics. There is an absolute right and absolute wrong. Lawful good. Um, Iron Man uses uh, utilitarian ethics. Chaotic the ends good. justify the means. Um, I would actually say neutral good. Neutral good. Yeah, oh, yeah, neutral, neutral good. Because yeah. he's perfectly willing to work within organized systems if they're actually serving the ultimate ideal. Superman has always tended to do the ontological ethics. There's an absolute right and an absolute wrong, but then you can end up making a completely pointless gesture of, I've captured you, only to have to fight this fight again and probably have more innocent people die when we destroy yet another city. Yeah. You're not actually doing something good, you're just making yourself feel which better. Which is basically what Batman started out doing, and which is what I yeah, like. Batman in this, in Batman this movie, Batman is the Dark Knight. He's the Frank Miller's kind of Dark Knight. He's mm-hmm. old, he's grizzled, he's angry at the world, he's lost everyone he's ever loved, except for uh, Jeremy Irons, and he'll never be effort. He's always going to be Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> and you kind of see that because there well, is apparently there he's is, a drone pilot. Well, there is what uh, Alfred, who is apparently a drone pilot. Oh yeah, no, he's a badass. Yeah. I, Alfred's the Jeremy best Irons, part about please. that. 
ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, it shows him going out and, and, and doing his batness uh, out in the city in the movie. And he is a lot more ultra-violent in this than you've probably ever seen Batman before. Tamara hated that because uh, to her, Batman is no guns, no killing. Yeah, no, Batman didn't kill either. I, so it, it begs to differ again to bring it back to generational stuff because, wow, everything's related. But today. in The Dark Knight, that's pretty much what he is. Yeah. He, he's a murderer by that point in his life. And I think in The Dark Knight, he's supposed to be in his like, 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's what he's doing. He's going around killing these guys now. And that's, I, I, if well, I remember correctly. After 30 years of putting them in jail and having them get out and kill people again. Exactly. So he, that's why Ben Affleck is the way he is in this Batman. And I can't wait to see the one that he's written Especially having one of oh his, one of his really good friends be writer. Kevin Smith, so <laughs> who loves Batman? But uh, and well, I, I don't know what he. The thought one of thing this, that Ben Affleck has for him is that he's a phenomenal screenplay writer. I don't know. Argo was. I didn't actually but, see Argo, but his other films that I've seen him write and produce, I actually always enjoyed. Yeah. Um, what else has he done? He, well, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Well, yeah, that's a great movie. Um, there was oh fuck. Don't ask me this now. Ask me this when my beer brain is less and my coffee brain is more. Um, beer brain is less. Damn it. This is why we need our intern. I know, Brandon. Well, he's sleeping because he's tired because, once again, he, instead of going to bed when he's tired, he decides to stay up with me when I don't sleep very much. Ah, uh, yeah. I've told him, if you're tired at 9, go to bed at 9. Well, then you, you're staying up, though. And I'm like, I'm playing Mario. I'm going to stay up for hours if you let me. <laughs> Tamara, so I get up like two hours before Tamara. Um, And we'll both go to bed at the same time because she just doesn't stay up. But then she's in bed and she's like on her phone on Reddit or something like that. And there are definitely those times I'm like, especially if I'm having trouble falling asleep on a Sunday night or something like that. There is like I'm warring between my good partner mode and my want to get some fucking sleep mode. And being like, honey, if you're going to be on your phone with your light on, could you please just go downstairs? I haven't said it yet because I generally end up falling asleep okay. But I'm like, you don't have to go to bed at the same time I do. You're not ready for bed yet. Just yeah. stay downstairs. No, and, I'm to- and I'm one of those people where I'm like, I don't need to go to sleep with my partner. I mean, it's nice and I understand it. But usually, we, you know, Brandon will turn on Chopped or some kind of TV show where I can, you know, drift <coughs> to sleep too. Chopped. Chopped. It's, it's a chopped. cooking it's show or a cutthroat uh, kitchen. We watch cooking shows, oh, competitions. It's a um, cooking competition reality show. Yep, it's a lot of. It's kind of fun when you just need to sit and veg and not think about anything important. On a side note, I'd give this beer at least a four and a half. Mm. Yes, me yeah. too. Maybe this is a really a good saison. It's Mike, we found the saison of my dreams. It's really damn good. But um, it's actually hitting on you, Brie. It is so. It's making eyes at you. Ooh, I love it. As it mm. should. But um, with with Brandon in sleeping because he's he's so against like anything that interrupts sleep now, you know I'm happy. I'm, <laughs> he's I'm, against things. He, that, I think we all are at he, some point. But <laughs> see, I can I can function just fine on six hours of sleep or five hours of sleep. Anything less than five, anything more than seven and a half, I suffer. But I'm totally capable to just go 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 go. Brandon, he needs eight and a half to nine, and it's like, sweetie, you need to just go to bed. And so now that's why he's not here because we do podcasting at 10. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I sleep. I sleep until 11. (laughs) Okay. I'll feed the cat. Right on, right on. You can put on your sleep mask. (laughs) Was he at least going to be here for the game? Awesome. Very good. Yeah, if he sleeps until 11, um, 
and gaming starts at, your game starts at noon, which means for all intents and purposes, it starts at one thirty. He'll get here just in time. Back to Batman. Be, yeah, no, back to Batman and Superman. Uh, the the you, I assume you've read like a lot of the comic books. Oh, Superman. What did you think of of the Man of Steel? I mean, the the I I really enjoyed it. The I think the only problem I had with it was the Clark Kent. Um, like the beginnings, uh, his father is really the only. Yeah, the the, the tension that they created with the father. We need some kind of drama. And they really did. Really, and he's going to sacrifice his life for a dog. Well, and that was how and... we were uh, Friday. Actually, I was talking with some friends about this. It's like they could have made that anything other than the fucking family dog. They could have yeah. been yeah. A, a kid who got stuck back there, something like that. Anything to make it so that it made sense. He was sacrificing himself. Yeah. Rather than oh, I need to go back for puppy. It's like you can get another fucking dog. Well, exactly. I, you know, I can actually kind of relate. Brian and I had a hy- hypothetical talk conversation about the zombie apocalypse and how I'm like, we're gonna just pack up the cat and the ferrets and go. And Brian's like, no, we're gonna let them out in the woods and they're gonna try to survive. I'm like, these are domesticated animals. Pippin is going to die day one. Um, He's gonna get eaten. First uh, problem with your theory there is um, you have food um, walking around with you, so. That's where I would go with that. Uh, no, <laughs> but to get to my point though, like on a sentimentalist point of view, like I, I could, I would value my animal's life yes. like that, and that's just my, that's just mine. So I can see it, but once again, <laughs> tornado, ultimate death. Fuck you! <laughs> I'm not gonna eat my cat. She's all fat. You get hungry enough. She's all fat. There's no nutritional value in her. That's just to fry. <laughs> She's <some> calories. <laughs> cat confit. No. Awesome. Anyway, why does everyone keep telling me about eating my cat? You say talk about eating my cat. Brandon talks about eating my cat. Stop trying to eat my well, cat. In anticipation of the zombie apocalypse, I will get you the cookbook, A Thousand and One Ways to Walk Your Cat. <laughs> Let's not eat my cat. <laughs> She's a very special cat. But anyway, so I can see him going back to try to get the dog. However, there there is a line where even I'm like, there's no way I'm going to come out of this alive. There's no way. And he went in knowing. And I think... For the dog! But, I mean, so part of me is like, I get it. I, I will abandon my, my son and wife Yeah, for the dog. And that's the thing. Is This isn't just hypothetical, would I try and save my dog? Would you choose your cat over Brandon? No. No. Exactly. No, that, that right and, there makes and, it a problem. And that, and no, and that's, so on a sen- that's, that's what I was saying. On a sentimentalist point of view, I'm like, I could see myself trying, but I'm like, but in the face of certain death, like that turns when I get there faster than I can get to the dog. Yeah. Nope. Mm-mm. Um, my so one of my favorite jokes about uh, Man of Steel is that both of Clark's uh, dads were Robin Hood. Yeah, that's so true. They were. They were both Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> both of his dads, Russell Crowe. Played Robin Hood. Kevin Costner played Robin Hood. Wait. Kevin, wait. Oh, my God. You're right. <laughs> they were both Robin Hood. Now, see, I was thinking back to the 1978, and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't think that guy ever played. Uh, no, I'm talking specifically Man of Steel. Man of Steel. That's hilarious. They're both Robin I w- Hood. So, the, so basically, the, he was uh, born and raised by Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The My issues with Man of Steel were... I've seen, I've enjoyed Amy Adams once. <laughs> and that was in American Hustle. Other than that, I find her annoying and cutesy. I love Amy Adams. Um, I don't think she's a good Lois Lane. No, no, no. the Lois Lane in Man of Steel is I, the same Lois Lane in this movie. And there's no really no reason for her to... No, there wasn't a reason for Man of Steel to begin with either. She's a terrible Lois Lane. I love Amy Adams. She does not belong as Lois Lane. Lois Lane needs to be more cutthroat and more self-absorbed. <laughs> Amy Adams is a great actress when she's like, I loved her in Sunshine Cleaning. 
where she's just literally oh, a woman a who's movie. falling apart. She plays a great person, uh, a great character where the world is falling apart around her, and she's trying to struggle and redeem herself or do whatever. She does. She's great at that. Lois Lane isn't like that though. Lois Lane's not falling apart. Lois Lane is put together. Lois Lane has sex with both Superman and Batman. Lois Lane's got both the most powerful men in the DC comic world under Inside her finger. Her. Inside her too. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, I and in all hopefully fairness, not at the same time. If that I was might annoyed by Lois Lane and Man of Steel, I um, wish they had just written her out of. Yeah. Superman versus Batman. But yes. they need, they need no, a no female in her being character, there. though. They, no, then no. increase they the had Wonder one. Woman presence. She was. It's like they're somewhere between a teaser, an Easter egg, and a. Um, I don't know. We're all sharing. She was okay. somewhere between an Easter egg and a um, a subplot. And I wish they just made her a subplot. You know, they say about shoehorning people in. She was the shoehorn. Yeah. I mean, at some point. No, it, it no, was, no, 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 no. You mean? The previews of the rest of the Justice League were the fucking shoehorn. Take a hint. I mean, you're already trying to copy Marvel's cinematic mm. universe to create your DC cinematic universe. Make it an in-credit thing. We did not need to see uh, Wonder oh. Woman going through each of the videos of the other Justice League members. And and. Well, I actually, uh, I like that little subplot of her and, and well, it's, it's her, like knowing a, her world being much larger just than the, these other two individuals. But just I the little logos. Awesome. Just the logos would have been fine. And then actually show the videos like during the credits or something like that. Or just leave it alone. We're not fucking morons. And it's the thing that has actually driven me nuts about DC since like day one. DC can't make good movies. DC yeah, treats us like idiots. Yep. And they are ashamed of the fact no, that they're that, a comic. No, that's, that's – uh, I, I wouldn't blame DC on that. I would blame Zack Snyder on that because that's what he <laughs> well. does. As much as I've liked some of his movies, I mean, I actually, I like Zack Snyder. He, he Visually, he's a wonderfully visual director. He mm-hmm. does a really good job, but, but he just rubs it in your face he, every he, It takes precedence bit. over the storyline, and so we get subpar story plots compared to the visual effects. I like, DC movies are beautiful, yes. Mm-hmm. But again, going back to the Lois Lane thing, she there's a lot of unnecessary plot about Lois Lane, and she's such a small part in the beginning of the Superman story. And why did anybody think that a bunch of random soldiers who were shot were killed by Superman? I know I didn't. I have no idea. Unless you haven't seen it yet, but that's spoiler alert. Superman didn't shoot a bunch of guys. No shit. <laughs> that's that's the spoiler. He didn't shoot a bunch of Superman guys. used guns. What? Whoa! No. Oh, my God. Now, I mean, could he even pull the trigger without crushing the gun? There you go. Good point. I think he has some well, you know, he, he of did, self-control. He, he did get into ar- lots of arguments mm. with Kevin Costner before he sacrificed himself for the family dog about, you know, being in control. Because, mm. you know, we can't sure. have a complex character without having daddy issues involved, Welcome which is my well, issue is because Clark Kent actually had a very a pretty good childhood. Like, he, well, he, yeah. it, he had he, to have but a warm, the, wholesome awesomeness. I mean, that's what turned him into the smiling moron who is perfectly fine spending 27 hours a day doing nothing but getting cats out of trees. So, and, and exactly. Like, he had a pretty good childhood. I mean, he had teenage angst because he was 15 at one and point, but, he, you know, he wasn't always at odds with his father or his mother. Usually. One of my favorite scenes in the, uh, I think, 1978 Batman or Superman, uh, Superman. Um, is, is where he really does save a cat out of a tree, gives it to the kid. The kid walks over to her mom and goes, I saw Superman. Shut up. Slap! <laughs> <laughs> values. Yes. Family values. Welcome 70s and 80s. Yeah. ladies and 70s gentlemen. and 80s entertainment, <laughs> teaching you to abuse your children for expressing beauty. <laughs> Wait, why did the millennials end up as they did? <laughs> 
Because <laughs> uh, the Xers were beaten as children. No, no, my mom. <laughs> there's a reason my mom and I have the relationship we did today. There's a reason why I didn't speak with her for ten years. However, my father would always say, I would spank you except you could put me in jail. Is literally what he'd tell me growing up. Because CPS became a big thing. Yeah. Uh, the 80s. Hmm. This is the 90s, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been started the 90s. in the 80s. Yeah. It started in the 80s, but it really wasn't that. I mean, and I love CPS. I think they're a great service. I think the case managers are understaffed and underpaid and overwhelmed. Because Absolutely. I, I've, I don't see, I see people, so I get, I'm, I work for the state and I, I get all the listers for job openings for the state and Children's Administration comes up pretty regularly because case managers just can't actually handle it. Yeah. Yeah. They're literally taking children away from families or investigating and I've made those calls and I've followed up with those case managers for my own clients and it's like, holy crap, you sound so awful by going in and seeing the condition of this household and knowing that this mom's trying the best she can but she can't break her heroin addiction and she's trying to feed her child but she can't get a job because of her heroin addiction. It's just... <gasps> It's a hard job. Mm. Oh, yeah. But, but is it? Is it? I. I. To, truth is, I don't know much about that system. But it, um, from what I've heard, it seems a little broken. It it's understaffed broken. and it's a little under, broken. It's, uh, it's, it's understaffed. Um, the case managers are expected to do way more than they can possibly do. Um, it's underfunded because we don't put money as a society into social services. So even like my program's underfunded. Um, I have, but they're so important. We have to. They need so to exist. Important. They need to exist. I have over a hundred people on my caseload now. Wow. And I'm expecting another 40 people by the, by June. So, and I'm one person trying to keep up over another. Well, and they better get at least eight hours of your attention every day. Yeah. They need all the attention, <laughs> especially my personality disorders get out of hand and they're very manic and they're calling me four times a day and eating up, you know, six of those eight hours a day. So wow. what are we drinking now? Um, we on that note, <laughs> we need a drink. Yeah. So, <laughs> giving us <laughs> giving us our drink. Absolutely, it's a proper response. God damn it! It's Mollusk Restaurant and Breweries, uh, Monk in the Rye. It's a Belgian style dark before. ale, and it's absolutely delicious. I think we've had something from Mollusk on the podcast. Uh-huh. What that was, only our uh, uh, very own Rick, the producer, would know about. Um, Definitely wow. a Belgian. It, um, oh, it's so good. The, the finish on it is so... It just grows. It's bearable. I, I'm not a Belgian, though. I'm not a Belgian it, person. It blooms. The finish blooms. So, it's like you drink it, it's like, oh, that's nice. And then you just let it kind of sit in your mm-hmm. mouth, and like the, the middle and back of your tongue, it just grows mm. on after mm-hmm. you swallow. Oh, oh my that's God, fair. it's good. So, as someone who doesn't like Saison's and someone who doesn't like Belgian's, the last, this last beer, and then this one right now, very good for someone who doesn't really like these kinds of beers. And the, the truth is, is I think you like the darker beers anyway. I do like darker so beers. So when when they make them dark, yeah. um, either I I think that uh, you're because they're darker. Like I, there was I mean a I, style I, of beer that I just didn't like, and I can't remember what it is right now. But it's, somebody made a darker version of it, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, is it a lager? Yeah. Oh. Somebody a made black a dark, lager. A black, black lager. lagers are it's like, amazing. Actually, that was really and good. And I like really light beers. I also like really dark beers. It's, it's that weird middle. and But even then, I like middle beers. It's, it's Belgian has this weird finish, and I can't put my finger on it. That All Belgians have that. I just can't I, relate so to. So imagine, uh, imagine chewing juicy fruit gum. Yes. Now think about Belgian beers. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's the easiest way I've ever found to explain That's Belgian beers. Funny, I never thought of that. But yeah, they're supposed to be fruity. They're supposed to be yeah. They're supposed to and be all that. And then it goes flat on me after about five minutes. 
Well, you know, they're they're not, not drinking fast enough, goddammit. And they're I've not terribly ever faster than you are. And this is another five, four and a half, five beer. Yeah. I mean, this is this is amazing. So as a non-Belgian lover, I would still probably give it a three. This is a beer I could actually have with everyone and maybe order another one. Okay. I actually this find feel really good with steam clams. <laughs> well, it's not because it's mollusk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the beer is one of those things that on any given variety of beer. You just need to find your access point into it. It's like I hated beer for years and years and years, and then I had Alaskan Amber for the first time, which is not a beer I can actually stand to drink now anymore. But because it's fifty percent sugar. But <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get that. I can understand why people like this because this is enjoyable. And then I was able to kind of parse out the parts that I liked about that. And I hated IPA for probably my first five six years mm-hmm. of drinking beer. That's funny, and the first time I had a sour, I thought that somebody played a terrible, hideous joke on me. Um, but then I found an example that I liked of an IPA. I found an example that I that I, I liked about a sour, and it helped me understand what's enjoyable about that variety of mm-hmm. beer. And then just experimentation brought well, me into different aspects of it. It's just like foods that we don't like when we're kids. I mean, we I, there's a lot of foods that that are would like, be everything. Yeah, I hated I, everything <laughs> as a kid. I loved everything <laughs> except for lima beans, onions, and coconut. I love lima beans. I love onions now. Still can't do coconut in some variations. Um, coconut, um, I hate because um, I don't enjoy foods that I have to still be chewing eight hours later. There you go. But anyways, with, with beer, like I was the same way. Like I didn't like beer, I, I, it was, and I didn't like coffee either. So my two favorite things on the planet didn't like. It takes me some adjustment, and I think the issue with Belgians and sours and saisons is that I don't get the opportunity to actually – embrace them as much i get i have some Mm -hmm. i've had some terrible saisons i've had some terrible beers in general and the belgians that i have easy easy access to are beers that i would consider subpar in general so to actually go out and find and so now i'm just scared to try them (laughs) so you know but if someone was to just hand me a a really good belgian i would probably figure out really quick it's a belgian because there's that that weird belgian taste yeah, it, it's a but funk. I don't mind it as much. And it's so a this, yeasty kind of. So as someone who doesn't like Belgians, I'd still get this one at a three. Well, I would mm-hmm. definitely order one myself. And especially Cezanne's and and farmhouse beers are, they're basically the sourdough bread of the beer world because they're made with wild yeast. And I love farmhouses, so let's figure that one out. <laughs> no, the, the uh, um, what's her name? Farmstrong makes a really good farm uh, farmhouse ale. Well, if they got a farm in the it name. It was also one of the like you were saying. Um, you don't like to go out on a, on a limb and have Belgians now. Well, I, I I used to do that with Pilsners and Lagers, and now I'm starting to kind of do that again because a lot of these breweries around here are, make, are they making good Pilsners. Have you had Colshans Pilsner yet? I have not. I it have. Is it is fantastic. Good. By the way, trivia really night at Colshan tomorrow at 7 $2 to go. You get free beer if you get the 10th question right in the first round. I'm going to be there. We actually keep right on meaning to go. Is this it's has up been to a six people, so you boozy can... weekend for me thus far. So we'll see it's what I feel like. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's six people per team for the Colshan trivia night. So, and I only have a a settle a, a It's just me, you and Stephanie, isn't it? Me and Stephanie, and then maybe my friend Ben might join us. But it's still we have room for more folks if you want to come and join. But us. it's it's so far away from me. I have to walk like fifteen minutes to get there. Oh man, <laughs> full I have to walk fifteen minutes. 15 you minutes. might break a sweat. Holy he has shit. to cross I five using that lovely little footbridge there. That's oh, right. It's no. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> well, it's at seven. I'm usually there about five o'clock. Um, well, Friday went out with uh, a gal I work with and her husband, and 
uh, Tamara down in Skagit. And then yesterday, uh, went to Elizabeth Station and spent the evening drinking with uh, Kevin and Sean because they now live right next door. Um, uh, which oh, they inc- moved? Uh, yeah, they actually moved into Catherine's old spot. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> which means that they have moved like 84 times in the last I was going to say 18 months. I know I've helped them at least once or twice on each one. No, of the, actually, yeah. we I helped them move uh, from the condo into Hot Mess Express's place, and then uh, a month later they were moving into the place. I just looked at them, Kevin. I said, "No, you've you've used all your credit." He's like, "I know. We're just hiring movers." I'm like, "I, I, I've helped you move like every other year for the last six years. You've." You've run out of credit. <laughs> and I'm like, and if Tamara and I ever decide to move, you like have to go cross country for us at this point. <laughs> yeah. You're helping us move to Florida. <laughs> basically it. Yeah. But yeah, no. Yes, sign. You don't have to drink beer, but I mean, us. You're at Colshan. Of course you're going to bring drink beer. I had their um, their last special beer. Um, the Maniac imported or infused yeah. out. Because I, I missed that. Oh, by I did, no, I, I didn't I have that, that one. by two days. So the Maniac Coffee. I don't get down there as often as I should, but uh, they had a. I had their Sunnyland, which was really good. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, cover the Sunnyland. I actually have only liked their two main IPAs. I don't like Cascadian their Cascadian is the one I'm thinking of. They had the Cascadian Dark Ale. It was absolutely amazing. Oh, their KDA is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's not technically a seasonal though. That's one of their standards. They just don't. It's somewhere between seasonal and standard, if there's such a thing. Yeah. Oh. Which there, there is, because they do kittens mittens every year. No, I get that, actually. So one thing about drinking Cezanne's is you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're... Uh, or a Belgian, same idea. You have to be comfortable with the fact that your your tongue will feel a little fuzzy afterward. Yeah. Yeah. But I like it. I mm-hmm. like the fuzzy. You know, this is actually not a bad beer. I don't know if this is... Oh, it is still recording. So oh. Sourfest, uh, during Bellingham Beer Week at Elizabeth Station, was... It was really pricey. We were not expecting to spend that much money going into it because it was also a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And we get there and they're like, okay, it's uh, $35 a person. We're like, eh. Okay. Sours? Um, sours are expensive just yeah. on their own. They tend to be pricier beers. But it was actually really incredible going through and having the opportunity to, on that 35 bucks, you got like six beers, which oh. six hours, that's not actually too far off from what you're going to end up paying Do you anyway. get the full like six ounce pour? You or? get a four ounce pour. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a good, and they like tulip glasses mm-hmm. with your thing and with the, their four ounce pour line. And so each of us tried like six different sours and awesome. it was a really good opportunity to really get a sense of what we liked in terms mm-hmm. of that. And there was a sour IPA that mm. smelled like weed. It's, <laughs> I mean, it, like IPAs don't already, some of them. There's, smell it's like, like weed, some so. of them g- kind of get that weediness to it, but mm-hmm. I smelled them like that smells like nothing. And I like pass it around to everybody where they're like, yeah, that smells like weed. And it was possibly the best sour I have put in my mouth. Right. It was amazing. And of course, I don't have any memory of what it was. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> because it was a proper noun. And uh, a proper, proper nouns, and I don't get along well. So oh, I just right. looked up an article. Um, going all the way back to CPS, not CPS before that Marvel. Oh, okay. So the so MCU Marvel Cinema Universe separate yes. from the comic books, they're making a whole different storyline. Apparently, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I wasn't aware of that because I'm you know I I wish I was more involved with the comic world, but I have had a lot on my plate right now. Um, um I've always found that, that a great way to stay involved in the comic book world is Wikipedia, um, because. <laughs> 
I don't have the, uh, I actually don't have the patience to read comics. I read so quickly that the picture slow me down and it, I, I, I five minutes in, I'm frustrated and I put it away. Because I read comic books way faster than I do normal books. I, I, you can get, hand me a full graphic novel and I will finish it in an hour and a half. Oh, I, I could do that also. But what drives me nuts is I'm like, it, the, they talk about something and then I go on to the next one. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And then I realize I have to look at the picture too. Well, that's also uh, an issue with depending on the artist or the writer. Sometimes, so when you're, when you're writing comic books, if, if you have a separate writer and artist, the writer writes in exactly how they want it to be viewed and the artist goes along with it. So if you've got a writer that's including shots and motions and movements, the artist will have to kind of abide by that and include those things. So like when I was, when, so when I was publishing books um, and I was working with a writer, they would say long distance shot over the panel, over the, the, the distance, sad face here, happy face here. So I'm like, all right, I just drew a full page where there's no words going on, and I'm going to draw another half a page with no words going on. And, okay, one bubble here. And so it'll, I'll be sometimes I'll be four pages in, and it's like, okay, finally have some plot going on. So really, <laughs> Caleb almost spilled his beer. And spilt my microphone, ah. which actually it's sort of impressive I haven't. I'm <laughs> naturally clumsy. It was on my kindergarten report card. My kindergarten teacher <laughs> wanted to hold kid, me back. A little clumsy. My in all fairness, they didn't know I needed glasses, and I was wearing my older brother's hand-me-down shoes. So I was in clown shoes and blind. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that I was only slightly clumsy, Giant kind of shoes, impressive. squinty little guy. <laughs> and finally, I'm laying. Uh, my teacher walks over, and she's like, why are you laying down on the page? I'm like, so I can see to write. And she's like, have you ever had your eyes checked? I'm like, what are you? Why are you asking that? a five-year-old this? <laughs> My if you actually said that to her, that would have been <laughs> awesome. But I'm just like, oh. <laughs> asking a five-year-old. So, and, and when I was when I was that age, we had this in my elementary school. We had pre-first grade, so it wasn't kindergarten. It wasn't first grade. It was like in the middle. And my kindergarten teacher really wanted me to go to pre pre-first because she said that you know she's very smart and she's very capable, but she's you know she's a summer birthday, which means emotionally she's a little bit behind everybody. You were the youngest person in your grade. I was the youngest person in my grade. <laughs> So I almost got held back because I was born in July. <laughs> she's like, you know, in college, she's not going to be able to handle all the stresses of life. My mom is a November birthday, but when she was going to school, the cutoff was actually the end of December, not the end of August. So my mom was one of the youngest, because she's the very end of November, she was one of the youngest people. She started kin- she started first grade because kindergarten didn't exist at the time. She started first grade when she was still five. <laughs> Um, at least I was six. Yeah, seven, it was six. so. I don't know. Six. I was a year behind everybody. I think she was part of that wave of kids that made them finally realize we should probably pull the, the cutoff age. There should yeah. be something slightly before yeah. the first grade. Yeah, Yami was just saying that in Mexico, it's just like what my mom dealt with, which means you have ridiculously young kids trying to keep up with people who are your. And the difference between four and five. It's huge. It's massive so, in the way that the difference between taught, 29 and 30 is nothing. I taught preschool for several years after college, in college and after my undergraduate. And I was, um, my specialty was, I was I was the athletics teacher. So I did a lot of rock climbing instruction. I did swimming instructions. And then I also did the afternoon um, play and arts schedules for the three-year-olds. And my program, I first started, we had two to three and a half in the same class the difference between a two and a two point five, it was light years. Like it was diapers versus knows how to wash their hands before 
eating yeah. eating yeah. anything. Exactly. And so when they restructured, I ended up having to leave because like they when they restructured, I lost a lot of my hours. So that was unfortunate. But they ended up restructuring to one year old, two year olds, three year old classes, and it's like. Finally, everything makes sense. We don't have to have a changing table in the three-year-old room because the three-year-olds all are using the potty at this point. I would and if hope so. If, well, sometimes they're not. It depends mm. if there's, you know, developmental disabilities involved and whatever. Yeah. But um, it was just, you know, you don't, you know, I, I did a lot of development in part, as part of my undergraduate, you know, psychology. You have to understand mm-hmm. how people evolve. But working a job where you're around it every day, like the difference between a month for any, anybody underneath Absolutely. the age of 10, it's huge. Mm-hmm. I just realized, looking around, thinking about the people I'm seeing, speaking of development, which immediately made me think of motivation, which is something when you're getting an ed degree, mm-hmm. you talk a lot about. There are two essential kinds of motivation. Uh, motivated to succeed or motivated to avoid failure. And I'm looking around the room and I realize I think I'm sitting at a table with, um, we are all likely motivated to avoid failure. Hello! <coughs> These are the people who, um, hey, you have six weeks to do this project. Nothing, 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 <laughs> nothing. Last four days. Work, 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 work. Um, yeah. Tamara is motivated to succeed. Six weeks to do the project. It's done week two. Well, for, I think for right. me, it's, it's more, do I have an interest in it? Um, another interesting thing about uh, motivated to succeed, a person who's motivated to succeed will always choose, if they have a choice of tasks, they will choose modestly difficult tasks. So, if you think of five as your average zone, 10 as there's zero chance you can do this, one as you don't even have to think to do it, a person who's motivated to succeed will consistently choose sixes and sevens. Mm-hmm. A person who's motivated to avoid failure will consistently choose twos or tens. <laughs> twos because they know they can succeed, and tens because there's a built-in excuse for failure. So, it's also where my hands go on the story. So then note. where would that put me? Because I'm the person that will will procrastinate and not want to fail, but I also have to have the best every time. Like, I had to have an You're, A in every class. The, the focus school. on on quality actually doesn't vary between the two of them. Okay. That's actually a separate measure. Huh. So... You so generally speaking, the theories would indicate that if you're motivated to avoid failure, you will go in and say, "Oh, I have to choose a task." Um, it's the science fair. I could build a telegraph or a paper mache volcano, or I could try to recreate cold fusion. <laughs> and depending on how motivated you're feeling at that moment, you might go with, "I'm going to try and create cold fusion." And you're a middle schooler, and of course you fail. Ever. That sounds and like me. And they go in, it's like, well, you failed to successfully do cold fusion. It's like, well, nobody else has managed to. I at least tried. <laughs> Man, no. I, I'm, I'm going to do the volcano, but it's going to be the best damn I volcano tried. anyone's and ever fucking seen. Or you seen. can be like, you can be like, I don't feel like putting that much effort into it, but I can do the fucking best volcano that has ever existed, and it will have a telegraph built in. Yes, that is me. So that the people stuck on the top of the volcano can radio down to the seaport that I've built as part of the paper mache saying, There's I a need whole help. plot line send involving a, send all the helicopters. It actually took you 35 minutes to make, but it was fantastic. And you're like, if you give me anything less than 110% on this, you're wrong. <laughs> I love how nice. you just boiled me down into a few sentences. Nice. And yeah. final thoughts on that? My thoughts is I got accepted to graduate school again, so we're gonna see if this theory continues to thrive with me. <laughs> you have to go back. 
No, I, she's choosing I'm to choosing go back. I'm choosing to go back because I need a piece of paper that's, that will allow me to do things that I want to do that I don't have right now. Are you doing what, a second what, master's? What is that? So I want to do applied behavior analysis. And my current master's degree was not acceptable as of January of this year, which when I tried to apply for the, the licensure exam, they said, you need a year's, of training, years worth of training. I'm like, but I have a degree in counseling. doesn't matter. It needs to be psychology or education. So I'm from the school of education. No, you're human services. You don't count. Well, motherfucker. Okay, so now I'm going back for a master's of education for applied behavior analysis so I can sit for an exam so I can help people with autism figure out how to manage their life. Oh, interesting. Because I need a license. Final thoughts? Final thoughts on anything we've talked about today? Well, uh, or anything else? Saisons are amazing. And I think they probably need to be integrated into the DC Cinematic Universe because it would make it better. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I just drink them before I go to the theater. (laughs) Um, But I will say, actually, final thought on uh, Dawn of Justice. I appreciate conceptually, but it annoyed me during the movie, that they finally gave uh, Batman a superpower, which is apparently having random dreams that relate to the future um, and don't advance the plot in any way, shape, or form. Well, and uh, uh, the spoiler, uh, the the scene where what's his name? The Flash? Yeah. And that whole thing, I think that actually happened and he's just kind of through that remembering. Yeah, but other portions it's like, and why was Superman dragging a ship? Yeah, I know. I don't know. So... So, Dawn of Justice is one of those that if they'd stripped out about 45 minutes of the movie, would have been honestly just good. Yeah. What I end up with is just an incredibly conflicted uh, view of it. Mm. And, but, with an absolute sense that I'm looking forward to Wonder Woman so much that I might have to uh, touch myself. (laughs) Excellent. I don't want anybody else. When I think about you, I touch myself. Oh. And, and on final that thoughts, though, <laughs> um, I'm just touching myself. So there's that. Um, good I night, have Dave. A kitty, literally. Good night, kitty. Good night, Dave. It's true. I'm touching myself. But only because I'm thinking about you. Beer Plus 3 featured Jeff Swatman, Bree Edwards, and Caleb Sanders. Please subscribe so you won't miss out on future alcohol fueled antics. You can find Beer Plus 3 on iTunes, SoundCloud.com, Stitcher, and anywhere else finer podcasts are sold. Also connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us at beerplus3 at gmail.com. Good night, Dave. Make love to the audience. We need to feel it. Yes, we do. Well, they do. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Ironic that someone named Delilah is a love talk show host. Because Delilah in the Bible, where the name originates from, was a very terrible person. Although, really, she just wanted sexual freedom. So, I mean, you can't blame her. But at the same time, she... Is there did really kind of tear down the city. Is there really any good character, women characters in the Bible? or that Ruth don't, was that okay. Don't sort of end Ruth, in tragedy? Ruth, Ruth was okay. 
Um, Mary, the, Mary the maybe prostitute was okay, too. The maybe prostitute. I'm sure there were really well-fleshed-out th- three-dimensional <laughs> characters in the Bible as well. <laughs> uh, Jesus isn't a fleshed-out three-dimensional character in the Bible. <laughs> and he's like the main character. It's like reading Tolkien. Womp, womp. Oh, my God. You need yeah, to say that in front of Brandon. Please say that in front of Brandon. Please say that in front of Brandon. Please, 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 please. Awesome. I'm serious. You, the, I, I really want to see that reaction to that. Our honeymoon's going to be the Lord of the Rings tour in New Zealand. Oh, really? Awesome. That's why we set up a honey fund, because we're poor. I, uh, yeah, that, I was going to say, that, that flight is horrible and expensive. but It's I, two grand for, for all, both us together round trip. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, no, we're, we're going fine. for half a month. Awesome. And um, so 10 days on the southern island, do, hiking on the mountains and doing the, like going down do the do rivers. Do 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 I'm going to bring my sword. It's going to be great. And then You're going to try to bring a sword on a plane? Yes. Just have to check it. <laughs> True, you'd have to just check it in. <laughs> it's really all you need to um, do. So we're, we're gonna. Be, it's uh, so it's all inclusive. So breakfast, please tell lunch, me dinner. you're doing cosplay when you get on the plane. Of course I am. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then um, so it's ten days touring the South Island and all those places where they film. So it's a lot of hiking and backroading and kayaking and whatnots, <laughs> and then lots of climbing around. And then the, we're hoping to spend five days on the North Island and go scuba diving and just do touristy stuff because we're in New Zealand. And I, there's a few animal reserves I want to visit as well. So it's the right best on. of both worlds. It was either that or Belize, where Brandon goes and scuba dives and I watch him. So uh, that uh, would that would suck. Yeah. yeah, he's like, well, we we could just get you certified down there. It's cheap. I'm like, okay, well, we'll wait and get me certified down there. He's like, oh, but then we'll need to spend at least thirty days there because it's gonna take you a while to get certified, and then I want to go, yeah, go do this stuff with you. And I'm like, that's a long time. I don't have that much vacation leave. I've got I've got ninety <laughs> hours saved. But that's about Did, it. Didn't didn't you just start this job? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of hard to take a two or three four week vacation yeah, when you just and if just I'm, I'm opening private practice, so it's like I can't. Be gone that long. Oh, thank y'all. And um, then he's like, well, then maybe we'll get you certified here. I'm like, that's really expensive. Well, you know, it's back and forth. We should just get it done. Yeah. I'm like, no. So (laughs) New Zealand, where I get to go play with the animals, and he gets to go scuba dive. You get to play with the animals? There's some animal reserves for endangered species down on the islands. I really am curious about going to see. Hmm. Because... There's a, a penguin habitat, um, and so they got they had these native penguins, and they built little ha- ha- like little huts for them because their huts keep getting destroyed by everything else in the world. So by the cast of Lord of the Rings. Yes, and like so they built like these little. <laughs> houses. You mean New Zealand? Yes. So they they built <laughs> the so there's crew, this like New chunk Zealand. of the island where they reserve for just marine animals, and so they have this penguin habitat. Where they build these like little huts and they check on the babies and they go, "Hi, babies. Okay, we're weighing you. You look good. You look healthy." Um, parents exactly as it was originally for those penguins, right? But I mean, they they're technically still wild because they get to go off and do whatever the fuck they want. They just their babies are being monitored though for living, so that mm. way they don't die. They don't die out. And then there are seals that go live in the forest, which I really want to go see a couple of those. There's what four the seals. Fuck? Yeah. Forest seals. Yes. I, they bl- I believe that's called a weasel. <laughs> it's a really big weasel. Yeah, <laughs> no, so the it's another it's in the same um habitat. This is why I want to go, the same <laughs> reserve. 
Damn um, it. I'm not awake enough yet because I should have said that's what she said. Or giggity. Either one would have worked. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a, 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 ta- a, a, a species of seals that will come up off of the beach and like, have birth like in the woods oh, and like so build and build but they build a nest and so i was watching one of these reserve animal shows because that's what i do when i'm bored and there was literally <laughs> the seal mom had put her baby like up into a tree like it wasn't too far off the ground but there was a baby seal in a tree and for the life of me that was like that was it i'm like what i need to fuck? go see these animals and i want to see seals and trees fuck that's the trees awesome. i'm imagining you going all anime only ah! in new zealand seeing a seal climbing tree, or a tree climbing seal. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a, uh, we watched Teen Titans go. Uh, okay. Fire star uh, moment, or starfire moment. <laughs> it is the adorable. Oh my gosh. It's just, I just don't understand, but it's so cute. I don't know if I would have done that. It's been a long time since I've seen that. I need to rewatch it. Is that the, the uh, I, I watched one of those Teen Titans shows. It was really funny like that. There's a, the silly one is Teen Titans Go. The more serious plot-based one is the original Teen Titans. And Teen mm-hmm. Titans Go is just um, Robin's uh, neurotic freak, uh, Cyborg and uh, Beast Boy are fuck-ups. Uh, Raven is stereotypical teenage goth girl. Yeah. And uh, Starfire uh, is uh, the stranger in a strange land. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that, I think that's the one we watch. It has kind of that Japanese pop yep. oh, yeah. <clears throat> rock and roll at the beginning, and yep. it was just an <laughs> awesome <laughs> show. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, yep. it's so good. That's what I grew up with. <laughs> Each of them has a uh, at least one sidekick, yeah. and uh, Beast Boy's is a wolf named Dave who's not remotely tame. And um, every time he appears on screen, he attacks Robin, and Robin's always like, "Why, Dave?" <laughs> Which also immediately makes me think of your uh, friend Dave, <laughs> and how I could totally see him savagely attacking Robin just because, uh, just because be it was fun. for you know uh, yeah, good uh, humor. Definitely strongly <laughs> identified with Starfire in that series. Not gonna lie. Uh, well, I love they did a whole episode basically on like a period. They did an entire show, kind of. I, I don't know if it was Starfire or the other girl, or Raven. Probably but it's Raven. basically It'd be kind more funny of with Raven. yeah. yeah. It, it was kind of like they're dealing. She's dealing with like her first period almost. It was that was kind of the <coughs> allegory of mm-hmm. the whole thing, and I thought that was really awesome for a kids show to start dealing with issues that are you know yeah no a it, little it, more expand. It started in a, during a time where I was very anti cartoon. Because we all have those phases for a brief minute or two, but I still watched that one religiously. Yeah, <laughs> I could not. It's, it's a like great it's show. It's time for okay, Sailor Moon's done. Time for to choose the Teen Titans. Okay. How's the the new trailer? It's good. It's good. As Tamara actually was uh, commenting that it is the uh, first car she's ever had that she's like, wow, I'm really enjoying driving this. I'm glad we bought it. Versus being like, I'm successfully moving from point A to point B, which is really what. Uh, Cars have always been uh, for us in the past. Welcome to Beer Plus Three, where we used to t- uh, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Beer Plus Three, where we solve the world's problems one beer at a time. Now in Japanese. Hiyo gozaimasu, minasan, watashi wa Brianna desu. Doitashimaste. Excellent. <laughs> 